wanted to show you very quickly uh, this study Bible that uh, is nearing completion. We tried to protect ourselves and put 2020 on there, but we hope it'll be out in time uh, for the fall and, and the holidays and so forth. Let me just give you a couple of samples so that you can see what this is about. Each book will have an introductory page titled An Introduction To. There will be a very brief uh, comment and then an outline of the book and then a discussion, very, very brief, succinct. What is this book about? What is its central message? Then as you move through the text, the text will be, it's a new King James, uh, is what we purchased, and it will be above with notes that come with the new King James text. These are not ours. They're textual notes that go with the text. Our comments will then be below that, and we have about five or six icons that allow us to flag the topic. Uh, this is uh, probably inspiration of the Bible. We, we have all of that listed in the preface. Occasionally there will be a little note in the margin that will say, by the way, if you want a discussion, for example, of these genealogies and how there's no contradictions, as the atheists say, uh, go to this passage for a complete discussion. Then there will be throughout the Bible uh, special sections. I've forgotten how many of these we have, probably 30 or so, that discuss concepts or subjects in greater detail. Uh, for example, here's one about uh, whether or not the Genesis account allows for the millions and billions of years that evolution uh, advocates. And so these will be set apart. They'll contain charts and a lot of very helpful study information. But remember, all of that is an apologetic study Bible. So it's not a regular study Bible where we comment on every verse and that sort of thing. It's strictly apologetic. So there are lengthy sections in some books where there are no comments at the bottom of the page. We've tried to single and zero, single out and zero in on uh, those verses that have to do specifically with uh, Christian evidences, defending the faith, proving the existence of God, inspiration of the Bible, that sort of thing. So pray for that, that it will be uh, forthcoming and useful to the kingdom. Now, let's turn to this subject. Uh, pause with me for just a moment and reflect back on your Old Testament and how often God sent prophets into a nation because the population had gone so far away from his, God's word that um, they had become comfortable with any, any number of actions and behaviors that um, were so appalling to God, so <clears throat> viewed by God as, as an abomination. But see, culture, culture transpires in a nation where over time the unacceptable becomes acceptable. If you went back, you know, 100 years in American history and, and interviewed almost anybody in the country and said, do you think the day will ever come uh, where it will be legal and encouraged in our country for women to kill their unborn babies? I can guarantee you Americans at that time would say, what planet are you from? That, that will, same thing with the redefinition of marriage that's taken place. They, they would not believe that could happen. You and I are in this progress of a culture that's devolving. It's declining, it's deteriorating. And we can see, even though we know what God says about things, and we still consider things wrong, I wonder if we have the depth of abhorrence that God has. When, when, 
God's people or any nation reached that level. He sent prophets in there, fiery fellows that jarred and jilted the population, trying to wake them up and realize, do you not realize how terrible this is? That's how I feel about this subject. Um, we can intellectually say, oh, you know, this isn't good. Not, it's not good. Of course, you know, a mother's life might be endangered or whatever, but, but I suspect that we've become comfortable. I know a lot of Americans have with this, this uh, activity. And so you see, so you've got to go back then into Scripture and refashion, reshape your own thinking. Because it's not in man who walks to direct his steps, Jeremiah 10. We can hold a view and just think, well, what's the big deal? And God is looking down upon us with anger. I mean anger, a fiery wrath that will devour the adversaries is what, how the Hebrews writer put it. So, what are we talking about here? This is, I realize this is a delicate topic, especially for children. I'll try to be as uh, tactful as I possibly can, discreet. Uh, we're talking about the deliberate premature termination <clears throat> of pregnancy resulting in the death and expulsion, removal of the child from the mama. <clears throat> Here was the sitting U.S. Supreme Court, 1973. Roe v. Wade, it's called. By the way, before she died, the lady who assumed that uh, pseudonym of Roe um, is back in the 90s. She regretted it and became a major voice for uh, pro-life and, uh, and felt that she had been used and lied to by the ones who talked her into being used as the guinea pig, so to speak. Can you believe that seven of these justices? Now, there's old William Rehnquist, who's now deceased. He was our late chief justice uh, in our lifetime, most of us, you know. And then this uh, Byron White were the only two. Uh, he was appointed by, um, well, it was a Reagan-like person. And uh, be, believe it or not, JFK appointed Mr. White. They were the only two that stood up and said, you cannot do this. You cannot do this. This is bizarre. Goes against everything legal that's ever been done in this country and it goes against everything moral in our society. They tried valiantly. But it was brushed aside and the guys that they took was the 14th Amendment which uses the word person and they decided, the court said, you know, we don't think that a baby is a person if it's not yet born. How did they come to that conclusion? You see, there were a lot of forces that had lined up. This is what happens in society. A lot of forces that press and pressure and pay people off and all kinds of things are going on to try to get their way. And the good people generally, when something like that's going on, they're like, oh, shocked and, oh, I can't believe this is happening. Well, surely, you know. And we don't do much. We just kind of sit back and pray a lot and, and the unthinkable happens. That's what's happened in our society. I've covered over these uh, pictures. These are images of buckets of babies and parts of babies that have been removed from women. 5,400 uh, every uh, 24 hours. I was passing through the Atlanta airport, and, and I, it's not unusual to see signs like this. Be the voice for those who have no voice. 
Yeah, an elephant can't speak for himself. We need to make sure people aren't yanking their tusks out. And we, we, we need to stand, we need to spend a lot of money and, and, and create animal rights groups and we just need to go on the war path in order to save the elephants. Can you imagine standing before God at the end of time? People having put in all that energy and effort and money and time for an animal while at the very moment that was going on a holocaust was taking place of human babies. Life is unbelievable in the way things transpire. Here's another statistic from Time Magazine, a little bit old now. It has not improved. It's a little gory, but it's, it's actually a great picture. There was this little boy, Samuel, who had spina bifida. And the doctors decided to operate on the little boy in utero while he was still in his mother. And when they ins in, made an incision in the sack, a little hand came out and grabbed the doctor's finger. But of course, you know, that was just a blob. That there, there, it was not a person. They snapped a picture of it. And by the way, he was born at nine months without spina bifida in great shape. Everyone admits, all forces admit that the fetus is alive and growing. And it's obviously not an organ of the mother like the heart or the stomach or the liver, right? Everybody has to agree to that. So what are we talking about? If it's life and growing and it's not an organ, is it animal life? Is it plant life? No, it's human life. There's no other way, just without going to any, any other issue, just thinking about this, it's irrational to conclude otherwise. All right, let's go to the Bible, because in the final analysis, that's all that matters, right? This is not Democrats or Republicans and all the other people lined up in our culture. I mean, I realize there's those that are trying to wage this war in, in good ways. But you and I as Christians, we approach this morally and spiritually and biblically. And that's how we ought to approach all these matters, regardless of what society is saying. How does God think about this? After all, we're all going to stand before God at the end of time. And his thinking on the matter is going to prevail at that moment. So that should be ultimately all that matters. Look at some of these passages. The Bible doesn't so much really speak directly to abortion in the same way that it doesn't speak directly about smoking crack cocaine or molesting children. But the Bible has volumes to say about such matters. God wrote the Bible in such a way that we can apply it to an infinite number of circumstances that occur in what, 6,000 years of human history thus far. That's one of the proofs of the inspiration of the Bible. You can't read Zechariah without understanding that God is the author and the source of the human spirit. Now when does God insert that spirit into a human body? Pre-birth, at the moment of birth, or after birth? And of course, you know, the, the pro-abortionists would have to say, oh, it's after. It's after that child's born. Although, again, show this gradual descent, gradual decline. Look what's happening in our country. What are they now saying? They're now saying even after a baby is born, the parents ought to be given a certain period of time to make the decision whether that child should be allowed to live. So we knew that was coming. We anticipate. We, we, in fact, told them at the time, if we go with what you're saying, then it follows logically that you'll be saying this many years down the Oh, no, no, we would never say it. That's how sin is. It's progressive, and uh, it's, it permeates. Well, look at this passage, Ecclesiastes 11. Here's the English Standard Version. 
As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman. See how the Bible handles this for us? You want to know when the Spirit enters the physical human body? It's while the body's still in the womb. Okay, that settles that. It's not at the moment of birth or after. It's in utero. Well, when? You know, we've, we've allowed, because of compromise and wanting to try to fight these forces, well, you know, after three months there can't be abortion. But before that, we, we've gone through all that over the years. But you can't do that with the Bible. The Bible's not going to give you support for that. In fact, it is clear that God infuses the spirit into the human body at conception. And there's abundant evidence for that. For example, in Psalm 139, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that soul, my soul knows well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Obviously a figurative expression for the hidden um, unseen circumstances within the womb. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Notice this. Even though the human body is not fully formed at that point. You know, you could even argue that the body's not fully formed after birth. Our bodies continue to grow and develop and undergo various changes. And you grow more hair and just a lot of different things go on. And then there seems to be some point in your life where you kind of hit the peak there and you start going back down. I haven't reached that yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm very familiar with many changes. I can just see it. I don't know when the pink happened, but it happened sometime. This is all part of life that God creates from conception to death. It's one process. And he does not make a distinction in that life, pre-birth or post-birth. He just doesn't do it. And I'll get, give you additional passages that make that point. Jeremiah, Paul, and Isaiah all stated in their inspired writings that they were known by God and and God wanted them in their lives to fulfill the responsibilities that he would in fact assign them. They described themselves as being the people, the persons that they are while they were yet unborn. Those are powerful passages. What about Exodus chapter 1? You remember what happened, we, rather let's take the time to read all of this, where Moses is uh, being hidden uh, by his mother. Why? Because this Pharaoh gave orders for the babies to be killed. And think about that. Think of a government that would make a law that says we're going to take out some of the children. Well, God would view that as, you know, the ultimate abomination. And uh, you remember how the, uh, fair, uh, the midwives did not want to uh, comply with that. But look at, this, uh, look at this statement that's made here. Um, Well, the point is, these were the abortionists in the Egyptian empire. And it's a minor fact, a minor point to say, yeah, but they were still, uh, they had already been born. Well, it's simpler then as far as having to go through any for, sort of a surgical procedure. But if it's moral or acceptable to kill a child five seconds uh, before it's born, it's moral and acceptable to kill a child five seconds after they're born. How many people in the abortion movement, they call themselves pro-choice, would in any shape, form, or fashion identify themselves with Pharaoh? So, yeah, 
You know, I'm like him. I, he may not have done it for politically proper purposes, but the, the fact that he could make such a decree, we don't have any problem with that. That may be what needs to take place under certain circumstances. In fact, this same liberal element says we need to thin out the human population because of the, the great weight and burden that it's placing upon the earth and the animal population and the air and so forth. How about Hosea 9, where you find the uh, three phases of human life. Notice that. Human life in reverse order. Conception, pregnancy, and birth. What about Luke chapter 1? And if we didn't have any other passage, this makes it very clear. This is contextually where Elizabeth visits Mary. Or sorry, Mary visits Elizabeth. And... Uh, she enters uh, the house of Zechariah, greets Elizabeth, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. Ask yourself this question. Why did the Holy Spirit record that? Why didn't he just say, Mary arrived, greeted Elizabeth, she said, oh, I'm glad you're here, would you like a glass of iced tea? Why mention something about a baby leaping in the womb? because the Holy Spirit's telling us they're connected. This is not a blob or something. This is a, a human being that's reacting to external stimuli. Isn't that what's being said? Of course it is. No reason to even include that. And then it's, and as if that's not enough, Elizabeth says, after commenting on Mary, he says, by the way, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, my baby leaped in my womb for joy. Oh, how could you know that, Elizabeth? This isn't even a child. What are you talking about for joy? As if this child has emotions or something? You know, the evidence is uh, in the ultrasound and so forth that they've used that the babies experience pain and they try to get away from the abortion doctor's instruments. And then interesting, that's Luke 1. Turn the page to Luke chapter 2 where we find <clears throat> Jesus in the manger. And the same Greek word, brephos, is used in Luke 2 twice to refer to Jesus lying in the manger. See, the Bible makes no distinction between a baby in the mother or out of the mother. That's just not there. That distinction does not exist in the Bible. Quite the opposite is the case. And, and do you not see then the conclusion based on the popular thinking of our day, would it not have been fully appropriate for Mary to have chosen to abort Jesus if she felt circumstances in her life were such that she just could not take having a child? You say, well, no, that's Jesus. Well, you're missing the point. Why would God say, well, it's okay for all women today to abort their babies, but this one mother was not permitted to do so? That's not God. It is true that Jesus' life is more important than any other life that has come into the planet, but look at all the important lives that have been lived on the planet. <clears throat> Logically, you can't defend the fact that Jesus could have been aborted. And notice then <clears throat> the statement that in fact, Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a blob of tissue that ultimately will become a human being after birth in nine months. That's not how the Bible refers to this matter. 
It doesn't hesitate to use terms that show this is a human being, a person in the womb. John the baptizer was a son uh, at conception and at six months in the womb. How about uh, this passage from Genesis 16? This is, uh, you remember Sarah, when he made the announcement to her. Behold, you are with fetus, you think? No, you're with child. That's how the Bible deals with the matter. Exodus 21. Here's a, an interesting uh, legal text in Exodus where God is giving in the law of Moses these various uh, hypothetical situations that can be used to, uh, with very specific events that come up and also by, in principle with some other matters as well. But imagine these two men fighting and maybe the woman's the wife of one of them or something. She's there in, in the, in the in close proximity, and as they're duking it out and fighting, one of them knocks her, probably very accidentally, and notice she is pregnant. And that causes her to go into premature labor and deliver the child. Okay, there's the scenario. What did God want done in such a situation? What kind of recompense or a criminal <clears throat> result would, uh, would occur? Well, here it is. And by the way, the Hebrew is very uh, clear about this. If you have a translation that says something like, uh, she miscarries, that's a mistranslation. That's not what the Hebrew says. Uh, literally, the text says, her fruit goes out. That's all it says. And then notice that the inspired writer qualifies it. If no harm follows, okay, so the baby's born, everything's okay. He shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband imposes on him. Because he endangered her life, he harmed her, the baby's premature. He gets to have a fine levied upon him or whatever punishment. Well, it's a pay, so it's a, a, a levy, uh, levied fine. But what if harm follows? What if the child is maimed for life? You know, maybe it tears his or her arm off or uh, puts an eye out or, or dies. So knock the woman that the baby's born and the baby dies. Well, the law was clear about that. Eye for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, tooth for tooth, uh, hand for hand. There's God's view of that. I think that settles, in my mind, that settles the abortion issue. Harming an unborn child receives the same punishment as harming an adult. Look at these passages. These do not specifically, of course, in context, talking about abortion, but look at the principle. If there was ever innocent blood on our planet, the Bible used that expression over and over and over to refer to adults that in his sight are innocent. But imagine babies. Haven't even come to life outside the womb to do anything. Don't kill the innocent. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. There's a passage that ought to be handed to every abortion doctor in the country. Put it on a plaque and hand it to them and say, you ought to hang this in your office. Because God hates what you're doing here. So you and I don't want to be that forceful. Do we? But this is Bible. God hates it. Genesis 50. This is the context where the brothers uh, come to Joseph and say, you know, I know we deserve to not be treated well and everything, you know, and God, uh, Dad wanted, wanted you to forgive us and everything. And remember what he said? Am I in the place of God? 
So when mothers and doctors make the decision to kill a child, they think they're in the place of God. I'll just tell you right up front, I don't even agree with the little fine print that they've put on a lot of these bills through the years that says, except in the case of rape and uh, the, the mother's life. Okay, now wait a minute. You have a right. Does God give any doctor the right to make a decision? Uh, well, I'm going to kill this one in order to save this one. Where would you go in the Bible to defend that? That's not our right to do, in my opinion. I think nature should be allowed to take its course. Doctors ought to do everything they can to save all lives that are entrusted to them. Do you not see that? One time, uh, a lady came up to Deb at Brown Trail many, many years ago in Texas and said, uh, my daughter uh, is pregnant. And uh, she went into the doctor the other day. And the doctors did some tests and said, this child is going to be mentally retarded and have all kinds of health problems. We are recommending abortion for you. And she wanted to know my opinion about it. And I, you know, I told her what I said. I, nobody has the right to kill any baby, period. And that was the decision the girl made. And when that baby was born, there wasn't anything wrong with that baby. Medical science of our day thinks they know it all. Do you remember how <clears throat> the Israelites bumped elbows, uh, bumped up against these cultures in their day? Uh, for example, Molech of the Ammonites was specifically, we know archaeologically, specifically the Ammonites would, boy, they'd blow trumpets, beat drums. This was a big thing, big thing. And they would bring their babies and, and place them in connection with this idol, which had a burning fire that would, that would literally burn the child to death. And uh, archaeologists have done archaeological excavations where they have found little tiny skeletons, the bodies of babies and children, embedded into the walls of homes which were placed there by the parents in order to ward off evil spirits and the like. You know, at least they did it for religious reasons and religious confusion. What do we do it for? That's paganism, by the way. That's raw paganism. And that's what the entire abortion movement is. Because they're doing it to justify their pagan lifestyle, right? Here's how God felt about the killing of children. Jeremiah 19. They have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. That ought to be a book. Somebody ought to write a book with that title. The Blood of the Innocents. They burn their sons with fire in offerings to Baal which I did not command nor speak, nor did it come into my mind. That's Jeremiah 19. In chapter 32, he states it again. They caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination. Can you, are you listening to God? Well, the Bible doesn't have any emotion. In, you know, it's not like a tape where you can play it and listen to it to hear his tone of voice. You don't think here God is saying... Not only did I not tell you to do that, I never even thought about it. This is God. This is a serious matter. Isaiah 59, their works are the works of iniquity. The act of violence is in there. You'd want to talk about something violent, by the way. This stuff's on the internet and stuff. You want to see it. Movies have been made. That Bernard Nathanson 
performed 5,000 abortions before he came to his senses and began a crusade before he died against it. Put out two movies you can probably Google and get them free and watch them. The Eclipse of Reason and um, what was the other one? The Eclipse of Reason and I've already forgotten the name, but uh, in which they showed the infant using um, ultrasound, reacting to the instruments and so forth. Um, there's been abundant evidence for many, many years for people if they want to know the truth on this subject any way you want to look at it. Making haste to shed innocent blood. Jeremiah 2, on your skirts is found the blood of the lives of the poor innocents. Uh, imagine a thousand years from now if the Lord allows the earth to stand and America is lying in rubble. Like uh, much of Canaan is. And uh, archaeologists, you know, descend on the place, want to find out who were these Americans. And they dig around in our garbage dumps. What, imagine if they found millions of tiny little skeletons. What would they think about us? But what do we think about the civilizations that we dig up? If they are a moral people, they would consider us bizarre, barbaric, pagan, and uncivilized. And guess what? We've put people on the moon. We've found uh, cures to all kinds of... We are an advanced, modern, civilized people. See, that's how in your culture you look at things. That's not how God's looking at America. We're a pagan, barbaric, uncivilized society just like all those other ones that he took out. We are now. I wouldn't say we used to be, but we are now. Individuals who take money to slay an innocent person. By the way, this is little Anna. Anna Rosa. Uh, she survived a botched abortion. She's missing her right arm as a result, but she survived. How many babies do you think we've murdered since 1973? Think about this for just a moment. In your mind, just trying to try to grasp how many. How long ago is that? 40, 46 years? Is that right? 46 years? Figure is absolutely staggering. The, the mind, I just checked this on the internet. There's a little um, place you can go and they have this clicking talk, a TikTok type clicking device. They'll tell you how many worldwide, how many in America, and so forth, how many per minute, how many per month. It exceeds 61 million. Now th think about that. There's 61 million Americans that are n never saw the light of day. They're not walking around today. They're not alive. But they would have been. They would have been. I wonder if one of them would have found the cure for cancer. Or any number, hundreds and hundreds of things that those individuals, their potential was terminated, exterminated before it was even allowed to manifest itself. 52 babies murdered per hour, every hour, for the last 45, 46 years. Look at this chart. These show American war casualties with each cross representing 50,000 casualties. Civil war being our most uh, bloodiest uh, loss because both sides were Americans. But World War II came close, about a half a million boys and, and women too. What do you think a cross uh, 
situation would look like with this. <clears throat> I took out my calculator. This is accurate. Here it is. Over 60 million. Imagine if you uh, went to bed tonight, you woke up in the morning, turned on the radio or whatever, and man, the, the airways were filled with news that terrorists had released, let's say, a deadly virus into the United States. They had sleeper cells all over the country, and they, they released it. Some were not successful, but they, they tried to get it out there. And <clears throat> these states, which I've colored in red, Imagine the population of all of those states being exterminated. No one alive in those states. I added up the populations of those states. That's how many we've killed. And this statistic, you never know whether to believe all these statistics. Half of American women will have an abortion sometime in their lifetime. One in three have. All right, let's look at some more Bible. Do you remember what happened when Cain killed his brother? God confronted him. He tried to play innocent. And God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the soil upon which you shed it. I don't know that I know all that God meant by that. I can't imagine that the blood was literally, physically crying out. But I know this. If the blood of one innocent man, Abel, cried out to God, imagine the sound in God's ears of 60 million shrieking babies. And you think he's going to let that go? Not the God we read about in the Bible. Numbers 35, you know what happens when innocent blood is shed? It defiles the land. See, that's not something you and I could decide. We just have to have God tell us that. And he says it does. It defiles the land, and you can't make any atonement except by the blood of him who shed it. Think about that. Second king, surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight. Why? Because of the innocent blood that he had shed. And look at this. Can you ever imagine God ever in any circumstance saying, I am not going to forgive that. I'm not going to forgive that. There it is. Psalm 106. Sacrifice their sons and daughters to demons, thereby shedding innocent blood and polluted the land with it. Do you not see that God looking down on America right now? He's not seeing all these advancements and, and technology. And he's seeing a nation whose streets are flowing with blood. A polluted, defiled land. If I'm understanding the Bible correctly, I'm not trying to be dramatic, that's what these passages are saying. Revelation 6, you remember those uh, martyrs of the early church in the late first century, slain for the word of God. And they cried out, they're represented uh, apocalyptically under the throne, uh, crying out to God, holy and true, judge, you know, how long is it going to be before you avenge our blood? 
Well, God didn't say, you know, that's not a Christian attitude. I don't think that uh, we need to be avenging any blood. That's Revelation 6. Move down near the end of the book, and in one hour he did it. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth, and God avenged their blood. He did. He avenged it. All right. God possesses personal regard from human life from the moment of conception. Abortion is a central issue in the way our nation is expelling God and we are decaying as, as a, a country that once acknowledged the one true God and the word of God as our law and our compass. And I'm convinced the Bible, the God you read about in the Bible, he's not going to allow this heinous atrocity to go unpunished. So what are you and I going to do about it? Well, uh, someone said this morning after what Shelton had to say, for one thing, well, you said it, we need to walk with our feet, meaning vote, and get people in like that governor. I don't know what her situation is, but she signed that to do something unprecedented in our history in the last 50 years, to make a, a law that almost virtually bans abortion in the state of Alabama. That's, I'm, I can't believe that's happened. I can't believe that courts, these liberal courts will allow it to stand. Let me ask you two or three questions, we'll close. I've, um, when I've done that silencing God thing around the country, I've had people over and over and over come up to me and basically say, you know, you're saying America's a Christian country and everything. Well, where, where were all the Christians when slavery was taking place? What were they doing about that? And then once slavery was ended, there continued to be oppression right up on into the 60s where, you know, no voting and this and that. And, and uh, the civil rights movement uh, took place. What were you doing then about that? And I don't know, I wasn't alive then. I was alive in the 50s, 60s, but I was young enough that I didn't, and lived way out in Arizona where there wasn't anything like that going on. Uh, so I don't really have the wherewithal to answer that exactly. I wouldn't assume that nobody was doing anything. I mean, uh, slavery itself was only endorsed by a small percentage of the country. The vast majority of both the legislators and the population uh, rejected it and did everything they can to try to stop it before it finally just came to that, that head. It was not allowed to be settled uh, the way they were trying to settle it, which, which was legislatively, which is what the founders endeavored to do initially. We don't have time to go into all that. But here's the fascinating thing to me. Here's the answer to that question. See, when somebody puts that at me and says, well, you know, where, where, where were these Christians? Here's the answer I give them. Well, they were precisely where you are right now on this issue of killing the unborn. See, so it's real easy to sit back and say, yeah, you know, how come, how come you didn't do something about slavery? Well, how come you're, you're not doing anything about the killing of unborn? Well, you know, slavery went on there for about 100 years or so, actually longer than that, because it predated the founders. My response to that is, well, killing children's gone on for 46 years, almost 50 years. We've been killing babies. So don't talk to me about whether I've been sufficiently opposed to slavery if we're not sufficiently opposed to killing innocents. You agree that that's logical? Now, two other questions. Do you think it's okay to support a politician that approves of abortion? And here's, here's the response that I get from our brethren. 
Well, you know, it's true that abortion's bad, but there's other things that these politicians that are pro-abortion support that I think need to be support, you know, like care of the poor and so forth. Okay, answer this question. Would you support that same politician if he was openly and public about wanting to return to slavery? Would you? Yeah, there's flaws in all politicians. But if there was a politician today that said, we need to go back to slavery, I don't care what else he's for that's good. People shouldn't support him. And in my opinion, nobody ought to support people that want to kill children. If you want to study this subject in greater detail, go to our website, click on America's Culture War, and then click on Abortion. And there's a whole series of articles on different aspects and this lengthy study of the subject. All right. Well, I know that's a tough subject. It's scary. It's frightening to me. But it's also... Um, something that really we ought to be passionate about. Because think about this. What does it take before God will bring retribution upon a physical nation? First of all, do we understand that God will do that? Well, the Bible's loaded with it, especially the Old Testament, loaded with it. And the prophets explain to you, here's why, because of their moral behavior. Okay, so what does it take for God to reach that point and say, that's it, I'm pulling the plug? Well, I don't, obviously, none of us are God. We don't have any ability to ultimately answer that. His timetable, what he's aware of that we're not aware of. But I know this. I believe the God that we read about in the Bible would, would be completely righteous to pull the plug on America on the basis of this one issue alone. We've done enough to offend the God of the universe just on the killing of children that it would be completely just for us to go down as a nation. And then you see you start talking about tampering with marriage as he defined it and things like that. I sometimes wonder what, what possible hope is there for us. I would like to think that these little indicators like these bills, Georgia, Alabama, and who was the other state? You know, that maybe... See, there's kind of a backlash. There's an upsurge of, of more righteous people trying to help our nation. And maybe God will bless that and pull our nation back from the precipice over which we are about to plunge. Let's pray for that. And, of course, our purpose here is ultimately to teach people the gospel. We better use the time that we have now to do so in any way that we can before it's everlastingly too late. If you need to obey the gospel invitation... Faith, repentance, confession, baptism. We have those who will study with you about that. Or to come before the church and make a correction as a Christian in your life that needs to be corrected publicly. Thank you for your kind attention. Let's stand and sing this hymn together.